0: Hear the word of the Lord from Luke 10, 38 through eleven thirteen. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray... Say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him? and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray. God and Father, as we now prepare our hearts to hear from your word, pray that you would be near us by your Holy Spirit, applying it to those hearts. Lord, convict us of our sin. Work through me, though I am sinful, as we study your word. Pray this in your name. Amen. So, when we talk about prayer, which is obviously given what we just read from the Gospel of Luke, what we're talking about this morning— I just want to name up front that I feel like there are three reasons that we actually struggle with prayer. Three reasons that we struggle to process it. And the first, and in some ways, the the most obvious reason for a lot of us is guilt. That we feel guilty about the fact that we do not pray as much as we should. And here's the thing. That is, on the one hand, almost universal. um, even as I've grown in prayer, I still recognize, you know, that there's, there's a long way to go. And second of all, that is sinful. It is sinful that we fail to pray, right? It is a, a real failing. Uh, it reflects our pride, our lack of reliance on God, and that is a sinful thing. But for this morning, what I'm actually going to ask you to do is the feeling of guilt that you might or might not be feeling as we prepare to talk about prayer, that you take that and you just set that aside, not because it's not a real thing that we can feel, and not because there's not even maybe a place for repentance, but you are a sinner saved by Jesus's grace. God is delighted in you as you are right now. You have Jesus's righteousness. He prays on your behalf before the throne. You should pray more. (laughs) Talk about that. But that guilt, a lot of times, like godly grief brings repentance, Scripture says, right? There's a sort of guilt that's good because it causes us to repent and change our actions, But there's also an unhealthy sort of guilt that just discourages us and causes us to give up. And so what I'm going to ask us to do is that feeling, set that aside, because instead this morning I want to focus on what I think are the two other reasons that we can struggle to pray. One of them is simply practical. We'll feel like we don't know how to pray, or we feel trapped in this very kind of narrow, specific set of things that prayer is— or we just don't feel like we know where to start. And um, so just we have that practical thing that can keep us from praying or growing in prayer. And then the other thing I think that, that is often an issue is that we lack positive motivation. Part of why I want you to set the guilt aside is because I feel like too often, especially with prayer, Christians just try to use guilt to motivate themselves rather than having a positive sense of why prayer is good and why we should, you know, long and desire to do it. And so we also often can lack those positive motivations for prayer. So this morning, what I want to do is just work through this passage that we read and first give a couple of practical, very practical thoughts about prayer because Jesus is very practical here. And then I want to give two positive motivations for prayer. But if you pick up in verse 1, it says, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. So this is Luke's accounting of Jesus teaching the Lord's Prayer. It's slightly different than Matthew's version. Matthew's version is slightly longer. If that bothers you, look, one, both of these authors are just summarizing what Jesus teaches, and two, he probably taught this a lot of times, but, um, but they're very similar. And so the first practical question I want to ask about that, actually, just reading the Lord's Prayer there is, is that a prayer that we're supposed to specifically pray— using those words, or is that just a sort of guideline to kind of give us some ideas about prayer, right? Is it supposed to be as prayer we specifically pray, or is it supposed to teach us principles about prayer? And the answer to that question is yes. It's both of those things. And in fact, if I can just back up a little bit, the first thing I'd like to suggest to you is that a healthy prayer life, practically, actually involves four different types of prayer, four different ways of praying the first of those is spontaneous prayer and i'm putting that first because i think that's what we think of when we're praying which is to say that just from our hearts or our minds we just start praying the things that are on our hearts and minds to god right just talking to him in that sort of completely improvised unstructured way and that is good and is an essential part of prayer i do think though some of us whether it's because you grew up in evangelicalism or because we grew up just in America, there are certain ways that we can kind of think that that is the only approach to prayer. And that can be a problem too, is part of what I want to suggest. I think what happens when people—I've I've heard people argue like, well, you shouldn't pray the Lord's Prayer because it just becomes rote and your mind isn't really engaged with it. and And it is true that you can— engage with prayer in a rote way, right? I, I mean, my kids are like, you know, our Father, our how it be the name of the kingdom, him, that will be done on this earth heaven. You know, I mean, they just want to rush through it every night when we pray it together. But first of all, um, you can also engage with spontaneous prayer in a way that you're not really mentally engaged and that gets problematic. I, um, I always remember being at this worship service where the worship leader's up, and you know, there's like the music's playing, and he's kind of improvising this prayer. And what he starts praying, he's just like, Lord, as we come to worship you, we just know that you don't care about anything but this. You don't care about what's happened this week. You don't care about our lives. All you care about is this moment. And I remember just sitting here thinking, I know what I think he's trying to say. I actually disagree with that, too, which is another part of the problem. But what he's actually praying is just, like, terrible, right? Like, you know, God, you don't care about us. Um, And so simply being spontaneous does not mean that we're praying true and good things. And at a deeper level, if all we have is spontaneous prayer, it can leave our prayer lives kind of limited, which is to say that it's never going to, give us anything that we don't already have inside of ourselves, right? Everything that we're saying is stuff that we already know, so it's kind of limited, and we can struggle to grow. So let me suggest a couple of other things to add to that. Again, not to replace that. And the second is praying scripture. Using scripture itself in your prayer time to structure your prayers. And if you want a good example of praying scripture, Jesus does that. Maybe the clearest example, Jesus hanging on the cross, right? In his moment of agony, he offers these prayers to God. And, you know, you've heard that, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Into your hands I commend my spirit. These different, you know, words that he gives, says to God. And those are direct quotes from the Psalms. From Psalm 22 and 31 in those cases. That Jesus, in his moment of greatest need, uses the words of scripture to pray. Practically, here's one way to do that. Uh, I think it's the best place to start which is take a part of scripture and the easiest place to start is the lord's prayer Either you know this version or the one in matthew What you do is you take it and you you take the first thing that it asks for Like father hallowed be your name, which means may your name be holy and exalted And you just say father may your name be holy lord. May your name be holy in the nations may you be drawing people to yourself and showing forth your glory to people around it. May your name be holy in our nation and in my community. May people come to know you and worship you. May your name be holy in my heart, Lord. Help me to acknowledge your greatness and, and majesty. And you, you just unroll it like that, right? It doesn't have to be those things, but you just take it and you, you start to, to roll out that prayer. And then, as you kind of reach a natural ending point of that, you go on. You say, your kingdom come. And then you start praying out of that those same things. And the power of that is that it actually gives you words and shapes your spontaneous prayer. Do you see that you're still kind of praying spontaneously out of it, but it's actually God is giving you the categories and things that he longs for you to pray for. So whether it's the Lord's Prayer, or you can use a lot of psalms this way, or I'll often use... In a lot of Paul's letters, like Galatians and Ephesians and Romans, he'll at the beginning have this sort of prayer that he gives for the churches, and you can just apply that to to people you know. But praying scripture is a really useful thing. In addition to that, a third just practical way to, I think, practice of prayer is joining with the prayers of others. Joining with the prayers of other people. And this is where I want to maybe push back a little more on that being spontaneous idea. Whenever you sit down with another believer to pray, which we are very clearly and repeatedly called to do in scripture, right? Half of those words aren't coming from you. they you know, what you're doing is you're joining your heart and your prayers in with the words of this other person. And I don't know if you experienced it, but even just doing that with one other believer actually can really grow and shape your prayer, right? You know, I mean, as you're joining with the words that they're saying. And you can do that same thing in other settings as well. Like, I mean— when we pray together in church, right? These, like, when we pray in confession or things like that. Or um, if you join us for our Zoom weekly prayer times where we use pre-written collects to, to offer prayers. Like, the point of that is not to just, like, you know, say the words without engaging. The point of that is actually that we're joining with the prayers of others in a way that shapes and grows our prayers. And there's, if you want to dig deeper into that, I find a lot of benefit in, Prayers of saints or historical people in the church that can help you pray. I'm just going to, because I love recommending books. Um, a couple of books: um, "The Valley of Vision," which a number of our elders here at Kish and other folks have enjoyed and benefited from, is a wonderful collection of Puritan prayers, and so is "Piercing Heaven." Um, and then, um, in addition, the Puritans really knew how to pray. By the in addition to that, a couple others I love um, are "A Diary of Private Prayer" by John Bailey, who was a Presbyterian minister back in the day, and Um, And then Every Moment Holy, there's two volumes. And volume one is about like everyday stuff and volume two is about grief. But those are all, if you're looking for places to start, you can sit in these rich prayers and join your heart and mind to them and you'll find them starting to change your prayers. And then lastly, one last kind of form way of approaching prayer that I want to suggest is just sitting silently with God. Which is not saying anything. And I want to be clear here, I'm not talking about... There's, you know, there's all this, in our world, sort of like meditation and relaxation is kind of hip. We're, you know, that's, that's fine, relaxation and exercises and stuff. But I'm not talking about that. What I mean is instead making space to sit with God in his presence in connection with these other kinds of prayer. Um, the, the time I spend every morning with the Lord in prayer, one of the habits that I've come to is I... Um, I get up and I, you know, stack her over and get my coffee and plop down. But, you know, I read a few chapters of Scripture and then kind of move into the time of prayer. But before I start praying for stuff, I try to just sit for a minute or two and just reflect on God and the fact that he's here with me and what he's like, reflect on some aspect of his character or the gospel and just feel his presence there with me. And that has become, in many ways, like the sweetest part of prayer to me. Sometimes I'll do it longer than I intend to, just because that actually empowers the other prayers you offer. And so let me just suggest that too as a practice. So those are different practical ways to engage. But then coming back, right? right? Remember, that was all just sort of that question of how, you know, should we pray. Let me also just practically, I think, if we look at this prayer Jesus offers, there's a lot we can learn. But I want to just suggest that one of the things we can learn is that Jesus's prayer, the Lord's Prayer, really has three parts, three movements to it. The first part is that Jesus teaches us to pray for God and his mission. For God and his mission. So he says, Father, hallowed be your name. May your name be holy. Your kingdom come. And holy means set apart and set above. So so what he does is first, he's, he's really almost just praying to God, giving thanks for God. Praying that, you know, he would recognize the glory and greatness of God, right? First, he says, start with God himself. And then your kingdom come. And Matthew adds, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's praying for God's mission. So praying that, um, you know, praying for evangelism and missions, you know, praying for like the Schaeffers and people like that, praying for justice and for the poor and oppressed and those things, praying for the church and its witness and its love and its unity, praying for God's mission on earth, and and you actually start with those things in the Lord's Prayer. And that's actually, I think, an important place to begin if you're wrestling with prayer— is that one of the best practices you can have if this isn't your practice is to not start your prayer with you. <laughs> because I think it's so easy for me to just jump into stuff about me. But one of the things that I found myself thinking about a lot lately, um, a few weeks ago I finished reading through Elizabeth, my late wife's journals, which are basically just prayers like, you know, her journal is like one sentence of what's going on and then prayer, <laughs> prayer about it for like two pages. But what struck me is how, like, 90% of the time, the prayers really never got past that first step. It's just like, you know, talking to God about who he is, and giving thanks, and, and, you know, communing with him, and then just praying for God's glory and God's purposes in the world. And what was so striking to me was the realization that actually, as she worked through those things, she'd have these concerns or struggles in her day, but that it was simply by being with God and praying for him and his mission that somehow that itself was a solution— the struggles that she was feeling. That it reoriented her. And I mean, and I've had that experience too. I don't know if you've had. But where like, I'll come to God and I have something that's like bugging me, right? Or frustrating me. But I like start by trying to do this and spend some time just talking to God about himself and his purposes. And I don't even remember what was bugging me by the time I get done with that. Because it actually works to change our hearts. So start praying for God and his mission. And then the second movement of the Lord's Prayer is to pray for our needs. To pray for our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. When I say maybe don't start there, I don't by that mean don't pray for those things. What always strikes me about this petition is, first of all, it's simplicity and smallness. That it is not, you know, it's just praying that God would provide bread for the day, the, the, the basic, simple things that I need for today. Um, I think this thing can happen in prayer. Where we get so caught up in praying for like the people with cancer and the wars in the world and you know These these seemingly big things which are good to pray for of course, but that we We don't feel like we can just say god like here's how i'm feeling today. Here's this specific simple thing that I need today But jesus says no pray for the the bread that you need for today the simple everyday things And at the same time i'm struck by its humility It is not prayer to like have 10 million dollars in the bank. (laughs) It is a prayer to have enough for this day to provide for my needs. But it's coming to God and naming those needs. And also you'll notice it's give us each day our daily bread. So within that, that's also where we come to God with the needs of others, right? It's not just give me what I need, but it's give us together what we need. And so we can pray both for ourselves to have that strength and power and presence of God to sustain us through the day. And for others, as their needs are on our heart. We pray for our need. And then third movement, it almost brings the first two together. We pray for ourselves in the context of God and his mission. We pray for ourselves in the context of God and his mission. So Luke has us pray, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And then Matthew, of course, adds, deliver us from evil or the evil one, which I think is a better translation. But, um, but what you're praying there is, Father, forgive my sins, make me forgiving, protect me from temptation, you know, protect me from the kind of dark spiritual forces of the world. And all of that, what you're praying is that your life would be more conformed to the will of God. That you would be more the kind of person that he wants you to be. That you would be resisting sin and seeking to forgive others and, and just live in the world in a way that is honoring and glorifying to God. I'm going to ask you a really challenging question. I know this is a, this is a convicting question to me, but I'm going to ask it. When you think about your prayer life, how much time do you spend asking God for yourself and other people to be happy and healthy— as opposed to how much time you spend asking him for yourself and other people to be holy. How much time do you ask for yourself and other people things that are about you being happy and healthy, as opposed to yourself and being, others being holy? And I say that not because it's wrong to pray the first kinds of prayers, right? Like we said, it's fine to pray for yourself. It is good and appropriate to pray for those things. But if, as Christians, right, what I believe is that the thing— surpassing worth is knowing jesus and being conformed to his likeness then that should shape what i pray for shouldn't it that 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 should be the thing that i most intercede for In, in my heart for my kids for the people around me that we would be growing to know and be more like jesus and again i just want to stress that doesn't mean you don't also pray the other things but i think that in some ways some of the idols of my heart have been exposed as i've reflected on that question So that is the kind of pattern then that we see in the Lord's Prayer. And look, I just want to be clear as we've walked through that. I am not saying that is the only pattern for prayer because there are lots of biblical prayers that follow other patterns. But I'm suggesting very practically that if you've never tried it, that can be a good way to grow your own prayer life. And I also want to just say it's also good because that is actually a really powerful way to pray. If you skip down to verse 9, Jesus says, "And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you; seek and you will find; knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened." Now, I don't know if you know this, but those verses get abused a lot by like the preachers on TV, who you know, who, who who are like, you know, what that's talking about It's like a yacht. Ask God for that yacht, and you're gonna get that yacht, and. That is not what it's about, but, but we know that that's not it, what it's about because of the context in which Jesus says it. What prayer is Jesus talking about there when he says that? What kind of prayer? The answer is the prayer that he just taught his disciples to pray, right? And so what Jesus is promising is that within the context of the sorts of prayers that he's teaching us to pray, we can have real confidence in those promises of God. That if you ask God for his name to be holy and exalted and his kingdom to be at work in the world, I mean, that that is a prayer that God is answering and is delighted to answer. Again, maybe not in the specific ways that, you know, that you request it, but in terms of God's purposes, he will answer that prayer. If you pray that God would sustain you and give you the strength to get through the day, again, I mean, he's not going to do all the specific stuff that you want sometimes, but there is yet to be a day in my life where I have not, at the end of it, looked back and been able to say, the Lord carried me through this day. And so he will answer that prayer. If, if you knock on the door asking that God would grow you in holiness and Christ-likeness and teach you to love and value him more, that he would forgive your sins and work grace and forgiveness in you, God will work and answer those prayers. Again, I don't mean in some magical way, but in a real and powerful way. Jesus tells us the sorts of prayers that fit with God's will— and it is true as we pray those things out of God's will that he will powerfully answer them. So all of that very practically is what Jesus says about prayer. And then as we close, I want to just give two encouragements, two positive motivations that I think we're also supposed to find in this text. The first of those is about God's character. So you might have noticed there's these two kind of miniature parables. The first one is about this man who has a friend show up at his house in the middle of the night, and this is ancient world. There's no motels or whatever, right? Hospitality is the only way that people are cared for. So he goes to a friend, gets some help, bangs on his door. What Jesus says is, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, we will rise and give him whatever he needs. Pause there. The second image is about parenting. And God says what father among you if his sons ask for a fish will instead of a fish give him a serpent Or if he asks for an egg will give him a scorpion Now both of these illustrations. I think especially the first one can seem confusing to us Jesus is actually using a really common way of arguing in his world that isn't really common in ours People call it arguing from the lesser and the greater, but let me explain it like this. Okay, um in that story of the friend we get confused because we think Jesus is trying to teach us something about God. And we're like, so wait a minute, this friend is like asleep in his bed, and he doesn't want to get out of his bed, and he's like, "Ah, I don't want to get up, but he will just because, you know, the impudence of the guy banging on the door. We're like, is Jesus telling us that that's what God like? No, because the point of this kind of teaching is not to teach you about God, but to teach you about yourself. So Jesus is saying, even if it's one in the morning— And you have a friend, and you don't even think that because of your friendship that it's deep enough that he'll get out of bed You'll still go bang on his door if there's an emergency and ask him for help Trusting that if nothing else, just the fact that you're banging on his door will get him up If you're willing to go to your friend who's like that and ask for help How much more should we be willing to go to God? Who is so much greater than that? Same things in play with fathers, right? Right? I know that this is always tricky because while some of us, it's easy for, some of us have complicated paths with our fathers. And so when Jesus uses the image of fatherhood for God, we can wrestle with it. I mean, believe me, I get that. And, but here's the thing. Like, Jesus is not saying, again, you should sort of just take whatever experience you had here on earth and say that that's what God is like. Rather, he's saying, look, your earthly father— As imperfect as he is, you would still, as his child, ask him for things, right? You'd still say, Dad, like, can I have dinner? You'd still come to him and ask him, trusting that he wasn't going to give you a poisonous animal instead of food. So why is it that we struggle, then, to ask God those things, who is our perfect Heavenly Father? Right, he says in verse 13, If you, then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit... To those who ask him. So he's saying God is our perfect father, right? Who, who has none of the sin and failing of an early father. Not, not your experience of what your father was like, but in your heart what you longed for that to be, right? What you longed for that relationship to be. That is what God is like, and so that should invite us into prayer. Which is to say that the more we recognize God's good character, the more that should call us come to him in prayer. I can just use that imagery of fatherhood. I am an imperfect father, but still, there are plenty of times with my kids when they're like sitting talking to me about something, and um, when I kind of zone out when I do this, and God does not zone out, again, (laughs) he's a better father than me, but, but I just look at them with Delight. Do you know what I mean? I'm just, I'm just kind of like, I lose track of what they're saying because I'm like, I'm just so delighted in you as my child. I'm just, so, you know, so glad that you exist as a creature. God looks at you that way. And in the same way, like, my kids ask me for stuff all the time. And again, I'm an imperfect father, so occasionally I'm impatient, but I'm never like, hey, you don't have the right to ask me things, right? It's like I'm your father, like you can come to me and freely ask me those things. How much more is God, our perfect father, happy to hear us come to him and ask him things? We should be motivated by God's character. And then finally and briefly, we should also be motivated by God's presence. We heard the story of Mary and Martha this morning as well, and that's, I thought about preaching a whole sermon on that. There's a lot of other things to say But the point I want us to reflect on is jesus says this about mary sitting at his feet He says but one thing is necessary Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her Jesus says what mary recognized was best was simply to be with me Do you realize when you pray that the God of the universe is giving you his full and undivided attention. That when you pray, the God of the universe is there with you, giving you his full and undivided attention. I mean, look, God, God is big. God is huge. He's beyond our imagining, but he's not big like Godzilla is, right? Where he just like steps on you and he doesn't even notice. God is big in such an infinite way that it means that he is fully focused and there and present with in his fullness you when you meet with him and pray and because of his greatness he's also with other people when they're praying right but 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 he's not he, he's right there present with you and that means that when we come to God in prayer that we get to talk to God I mean on some level i i just feel like if we could really just that's the simplest thing you can say about prayer but if we just internalized that reality right how much would that change us just like here i am speaking with God. And that's actually, if I can give one more practical application, the last thing I'd suggest to you, especially if you're following that pattern of the Lord's Prayer. Start with this. Simply take a minute or two as you sit down to pray and reflect quietly on that reality, that, that you're talking with God, that he's right here giving you his full attention, and just sit with that and feel that in your heart, and then out of that begin to pray. As we close we're going to do something different instead of me wrapping up and summarizing and stuff since we pray after our sermon and since we just talked about prayer what i'd like us to do instead is to take this prayer from luke that jesus teaches us and just pray this together so what we're going to do is it's going to be simple i'm going to say lord we pray and then we're going to pray one of the petitions Then i'll say a little bit about it and then we'll sit quietly for a minute or two and you can kind of internalize that in your heart And then I'll say, Lord, we pray, which means look up and get ready, and then we'll pray the next petition and work through it. All right? So let's turn to God in prayer. Lord, we pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Yes, Father, I do pray that your name would be lifted up and exalted, that your reputation and renown would be set apart. I pray that this would be true in our hearts as individuals and as a church, and I pray that that would be our reputation more than anything else, that when people know us as a community, know us as individuals, that they would say, this person loves and delights in the Lord. Lord, we pray, your kingdom come. Father, we are a people who need your reign of justice and peace so much in our relationships with others where we have broken relationships, in our communities, in in the dividedness of the world around us. Lord, Lord, May your kingdom peace come, bringing reconciliation and justice and truth. Lord, we pray. Give us each day our daily bread. Father, I thank you for the ways that you provide for us each day and pray that you would continue to on this day. Lord, give us physical nourishment, give us spiritual nourishment. And I especially pray today for those who are anxious or facing uncertainty in their lives, that you would both work to resolve whatever circumstances they face, but also give them the peace and comfort of knowing that you are with them in your spirit, in your life today. Lord, we pray, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Father, forgive us. We sin in many ways, including, Father, do forgive us for our prayerlessness. And may the grace that we know in the Lord Jesus Christ, as you cover each of our sins, cause us quick to be gracious and to cover over the sins of those around us, especially those that we carry in our hearts. Lord, we pray, could lead us not into temptation. Lord, our lives have many trials and temptations, and I pray that you would protect us from all of them. I pray especially, Lord, um, just for the ways that I think of those who, because of the loneliness or struggle of this last season, are particularly vulnerable to that temptation. I pray that you would work in their hearts and in my heart that we might faithfully cling to Jesus Christ. Pray all of this in his great name. Amen.